Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 9. We're going to be looking at Matthew's chapter 6 through 7. He taught them as one having authority. Now, I just want to start out with one question today, and that's, are you guys ready to go fishing? Because this is a prime fishing location. In fact, I got to tell you just a a quick fishing story, if that's okay, before we get started today. It was uh, years ago when I went to a place um, up in the Uinas, and I think it was Mere Lake. It was right around there, beautiful, pristine lake. They had just planted, I guess, tons of trout in this lake. And so it was on the weekend and there were people fishing all along the bank. And the place where we were at was just, there was kind of a little inlet. And so you had people standing on kind of both sides of this inlet and they were all casting in the middle and fishing. And it was pretty wide across, but yet you could cast quite a ways. And while I was just sitting there casting, fish were jumping everywhere. People were catching them left and right. And all of a sudden, I noticed one fish jump clean out of the water, super high, like higher than any fish I'd seen jump yet. And and then it caught my attention even more so because it didn't come back down. <laughs> the fish basically jumped out of the water and stayed there, almost like kind of the Matrix style kind of a thing. It just started to spin. And at first, my eyes were just completely wide-eyed. My mind was blown. I'm like, what is happening here? This fish has jumped out of the water and is now just floating, spinning in the air. Is some kind of prank, a magical trick? I don't know what was happening. People were starting to notice and paying attention and pointing towards it as well. As I finally focused in a little bit closer on this fish... I recognized that he had been hooked twice. (laughs) He had on one side of his mouth, he had a hook pulling him on one side of the the lake, the inlet, and another hook on the other side of the mouth pulling him across on the other side. So this fish had been hooked twice and then reeled in by both people, but in opposite directions, which pulled him completely (laughs) out of the water. And there he was just kind of spinning and floating in the air. I thought, you know, there's there's a great lesson about just greed and the, the problems that we can get ourselves into. If he would have just stuck with one piece, I mean, he might have had a better chance to get off. But there, you know, going for two was just a, a little too much. But that was that reminds me a little bit of what we're kind of about to experience here with this week's study. Much as like we did last week, this fishing hole, we're going back into the Sermon on the Mount is absolutely loaded with fish. You could literally just throw a hook in probably without any bait and catch something out of it. This is a perfect place for those that are wanting to to start to learn how to kind of fish in the scriptures, get things out of them, find things that are are helpful and meaningful and impactful and, and things that can apply into each of our lives. This is a perfect spot for it. So I hope you're, you're geared up and you're ready to go. And uh, let's, let's get in and kind of take a look at these, these uh, sections and these verses and see what we can learn. Now, today's message, I really want to try to gear towards helping you young people better survive the storms that will come into your lives. I know that many of you have gone through some pretty difficult storms. Some of you are going through some now, and all of us certainly will continue to go through some in the future. And there are some very key principles and important principles that can help sustain you through some of these storms. And so I want you to watch for those as you go 
through our reading and study this week. Now, just to hit on some key points, again, we don't have time to, to look at everything, but again, we're going back into the Sermon of the Mount. One of the things that I wanted to kind of pause and revisit on a little bit is this concept of perfection, which is where we ended last week. I think it's very common for us in getting to that kind of a point or coming across that kind of scripture or even looking at what we studied last week and getting a little down on ourselves because we're we're not anywhere close to those kinds of things. Yeah, the Savior is saying doesn't even want us to get angry at people. Yeah, okay, I failed at that yesterday and it, even this morning, right? Uh, oh, you don't want us to lust after uh, another person? Well, have you just taken a look at social media and all the things that are shoved in our faces? Uh, you want us to love our enemies? That's so hard to do. I'm not very good at that as well. It's so easy to feel like I can't do this. I can't measure up. So before we get into things this week, I just wanted to give you a reminder about perfection and what it really is. And let me just share with you a, a couple excerpts from Elder Holland's talk, Be Therefore Perfect, eventually given back in the conference of General Conference of October 2017. When he said, have you noticed that every now and then a passage will appear in Scripture that reminds us that we are falling a little short? For example, the Sermon on the Mount begins with soothing, gentle beatitudes. But in the verses that follow, we are told, among other things, not only to not kill, but also not even to be angry. We are told not only to not commit adultery, but also not even to have impure thoughts. To those who ask for it, we are to give our coat and then give our cloak also. We are to love our enemies, bless those who curse us, and do good to them that hate us. If that is your morning scripture study, and after reading just that far, you are pretty certain you're not going to get good marks on your gospel report card, then the final commandment in the chain is sure to finish the job. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. With that concluding imperative, we want to go back to bed and to pull the covers over our head. Such celestial goals seem beyond our reach. Yet surely the Lord would never give us a commandment that he knew we could not keep. So let's see where this quandary takes us. Around the church, I hear many who struggle with this issue. I'm just not good enough. I fall so short. I will never measure up. I hear this from teenagers. I hear it from missionaries. I hear it from new converts. I hear it from lifelong members. One insightful Latter-day Saint, Sister Darla Isaacson, has observed that Satan has somehow managed to make covenants and commandments seem like curses and condemnations. For some, he has turned the ideals and and inspiration of the gospel into self-loathing and misery-making. What I now say in no way denies or diminishes any commandment God has ever given us. I believe in his perfection. And I know we are his spiritual sons and daughters with divine potential to become as he is. I also know that as children of God, we should not demean or vilify ourselves, as if beating up on ourselves is somehow going to make us the person God wants us to become. No, with a willingness to repent and a desire for increased righteousness always in our hearts, I would hope that we could pursue personal improvement in a way that doesn't include getting ulcers or or anorexia, feeling depressed or demolishing our self-esteem. That is not what the Lord wants for primary children or anyone else who honestly sings, I'm trying to be like Jesus. To put this issue in context, may I remind all of us that we live in a fallen world, and for now we are a fallen people. We are in the telestial kingdom. That is spelled with a T, not a C. As President Russell M. Nielsen has taught, here in mortality, perfection is still pending.
Such a great reminder. I would encourage you to go back and read what he continues to say and teach about the concept of perfection. It, it will help you. It, it can help all of us to feel better about ourselves and when we fall short, which is so, so easy to do. So give yourself space. Give yourself grace to be less than perfect and understand that, yes, perfection is pending. And we are just working on improving a little bit at a time here and there a little And if we take a step back or two, that's okay. Now, let's jump into a few key principles from this week to kind of help us move forward in that self-improvement and closer towards perfection. If you have your scriptures, grab them. Open up to Matthew chapter 6 and 7. And we're just going to go through a couple of these key points. And I would encourage you to read through these in more depth and look for some of the things I'm going to tell you to, to look for, as well as just listen to whatever else it is that the Spirit will teach you. As always, those are the thoughts that are the most important. Not the things that I'm telling you, but the things that the Spirit and God is telling you as you listen, right? And as you study and as you read. So one of the things you'll notice, he starts out with in verses 1 through 4 with the concept that many of us struggle with, many uh, especially young people struggle with, and that is the need to be seen of men. Teenagers, how have you seen other teenagers try to be seen by others, recognized, to get others' attention? How do teenagers tend to blow their own trumpets today in order again to draw attention to themselves? Have you seen how some of your peers have gone to great lengths to try to to get that attention by uh, the clothes that they wear, um, the things that they say, the things that they do? A lot of young people get caught up in, in this kind of aspect. And I think a better question is, what can I do to not be so seen and visible by others? How can I practice humility? What reward would I rather have, the reward of being seen by others or God's reward, which is given privately? It's a great thought and something to consider as you go through those verses. Uh, Verses 6 through 13, we receive instruction on prayer. And I think it's important to recognize that relationships are developed through talking together, right? So young people, listen carefully, study carefully these verses to understand how you can better communicate and talk to God. The Savior even gives us an example of the types of things that to ask for and to pray for in the Lord's Prayer in some of those verses that follow. Verse 11, I would draw your attention to the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And I, I think that's significant to the in the fact that a lot of times we don't want just daily bread. We want bread for a month, for a year, sometimes for a lifetime, right? It's a little scary to have to go from one day to the next wondering and hoping that we'll have enough. But God wants us to learn to trust Him, not just once in a while, but each and every day. As an example, the brother of Jared, when he and his family got to the the seashore, they stayed there for a period of time. And the Lord chastised them a little bit because he had forgotten to call upon God. I think that sometimes in our ease, when things are going well, it's easy to forget Him, that we need Him, and to do the things that He's asked us to do. And so it's good counsel and advice to try to remember that we need him every day and that it's okay if he puts us in situations and circumstances where we need to learn to depend on him daily. One of my favorite cross-referencing scriptures is in Doctrine and Covenants section 101 verses 7 through 9 when the Lord talks about some of the early saints and how they were going through some hard things and he was allowing them to go through some hard things because they had been so slow to listen to them when things were going well. He said, They were slow to hearken unto the voice of the Lord their God. Therefore, the Lord their God is slow to hearken unto their prayers, to answer them in the day of their trouble. 
In the day of their peace, they esteemed lightly my counsel. But now in the day of their trouble, of necessity, they feel after me. That's just human nature, isn't it? We turn to God when we need him, but then we tend to forget him when we don't. And he wants us to reverse that, to, to remember him even when we don't need him, so that he will be there that much quicker to answer our prayers when we do need him. Regardless of what we do and how we do it, he does conclude those verses by saying, Verily I say unto you, notwithstanding their sins, my bowels are filled with compassion towards them. I will not utterly cast them off, and in the day of wrath I will remember mercy. God will always still remember us. But I want him to answer me quickly. (laughs) I don't want to have to wait when I'm in trouble. And so I know that the more that I remember God in the day of my peace, when things are going right, the quicker he will respond to my needs in the day of my trouble when things are going wrong. Now, I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment, but let's first go through a few other key principles that I think are important to see and recognize and things for you to look for as you study this week. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15 is all about forgiveness. And as young people, you have a lifetime ahead of you of being hurt by others, unfortunately. Hurt by teachers, sometimes hurt by friends, those that you date. These can be some of the most painful experiences that you'll have. Things that people will say and things that people will do that that hurt you, hurt your feelings, let you down. Try to remember as you study these verses why the Savior is encouraging all of us, even commanding us to forgive all men. Forgiveness isn't about them. It's not about forgiving who hurt you. It's about you and healing the hurt that was done. Refusing to forgive someone is like drinking poison, someone once said, and waiting for the other person to die. So think about that and those that have probably already hurt you up to this point and how you can better apply the Savior's counsel in these verses. Verse 24, we read a little bit about how no man can serve two masters. In my classroom, I used to do a desk uh, activity where I would call up a student and have him or her stand on two separate desks and then have two other students come up and slowly move those desks apart. It's kind of fun to see how long a student could stay Um, on both desks and doing the splits. But eventually, what I wanted to see and for the class to see is eventually that student had to make a choice, had to make a decision. Eventually, he or she had to pick a side. If she waited or he waited too long, they would fall. Well, that's just how it is with all of us. We try to serve two masters, but we just can't do it. And the sooner we pick a, a side, the more stability we'll have in life. Another key principle to look for is in verses 25 through 34. Look for how the Savior is trying to get us to let go of the world and all the things that he's telling us to try not to put too much of our time and energy into and into worrying about. Because tomorrow, he says, let tomorrow take care of itself. In a lot of ways, I think you'll hear him say to try to live and find joy in the present, to let the worries and the concerns so much that occupy our lives go and to trust that things will be taken care of. And one of the phrases I would hope that you'd mark is the Savior's instruction to consider the lilies. To consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they toil not. I love that statement. I've always loved that statement. And I love the song that's associated with it because it is. It's a reminder of how involved God is in every aspect of life. And if there are certain things like lilies that are being taken care of, then how much more so will we? We fear so much of the unknown, and God is trying to reassure you that He knows you, that He knows your life, that He knows your life's experiences that you're having now and that you will have in the future. So trust Him 
that you will have everything that you need to get through them. Remember to consider the lilies. Now in chapter 7 verses 1 through 5, we come across the very common and popular phrase, especially among teenagers, and that's don't judge that you be not judged. Don't judge me. That's the phrase I would always hear all the time. I would draw your attention to the Joseph Smith translation or the JST uh, down at the bottom where he makes some very, very important corrections. Because the truth is, it's not that we're not supposed to judge. We have to judge. We are meant to judge. And everything that we do, everything that we, from what we eat to, to what we say, to what we wear, to the people that we associate with. Now, some things and some judgments that we make are, are more important than others, but some are absolutely vital that we make correctly. The key is to learn to judge righteously and to clear our own vision first before we try to judge others. Some great thoughts in there, and I invite you to consider how is it that we can best judge righteously. There's some great principles that you can see and discover in there and be taught by the Spirit when it comes to judging those in your life. And then as another key principle in chapter 7, verse 7, we find that popular and very familiar phrase, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. One of the most common phrases in Scripture. Let me just give you a quote from Elder Scott back in, in the Enzyme of November 1995, page 17, where he said, His invitation to ask and ye shall receive does not assure that you will get what you want, but it does guarantee that if worthy, you will get what you need as judged by a father that loves you perfectly. And I love that statement. I, I remember as a young person often wondering, why am I not getting all the things that I ask for? It says, ask and you shall receive. Why does this girl not like me? Why am I not doing good on my test? Why? <laughs> right? All these kinds of things that sometimes it's very common to pray for as a young person. Just remember that quote, right? That it doesn't mean we'll always get what we ask for, but we'll always get, especially when we're worthy and living as best as we can, what we need as judged by a father that loves us perfectly. Then we come to another great principle in verse 12, the golden rule, basically, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is a great quote that might be good to write next to that verse if you'd like to, but Elder Marvin J. Ashton once said that the most clear indicator that we are progressing spiritually and coming unto Christ is the way that we treat other people. And I think that is a wonderful thing to remember and to keep in mind, that the best way for us to treat other people is not only the way that we would want to be treated, but the way that Christ would treat them. And that quote was from the conference report in May 1992. Uh, verses 15 and 20 is another great key principle where the Lord talks about, by their fruits ye shall know them. Young people, these are great verses to use as a guide to help you to find the right friends and eventually those that you date and marry one day. The question to consider is what kind of fruits are they bringing into your life? There have been times in my life, especially as a young person, where I had good friends and I had some not-so-good friends. And it didn't take me too long to recognize that the not-so-good friends I had in my life were bringing about not-so-good of fruits, <laughs> kinds of fruits in my life. Things were happening that... I didn't like uh, experiences I was having that I, I just knew I didn't want to have, uh, feelings I was having that I didn't like as well. And it was important for me to recognize that so that I could just my friends sometimes if needed. I've also found this to be true of, of those that I've dated. Um, there are people in this world that will bring out the very best in you. And there are others that will bring out the worst in you. 
I remember one young woman coming up to me after class one day asking if, if she could just talk with me for a little bit. And as we talked, she said she just wanted to tell me a little bit about a situation that was going on with one of her friends and she didn't know what to do to help. That this particular friend had just really changed as of late, she said. And it all happened when she got a boyfriend. There was a particular, I guess, boy that she had become close with. And she said, everything's just kind of changed. And at first, I just kind of thought, well, that kind of happens when you get relationships. Friends kind of tend to take a you know, back seat to, to that relationship. But then she started to tell me things like she's been skipping class. Her grades have dropped. Um, she doesn't talk to any of us. She doesn't hang out with us anymore. Um, she got kicked out of, uh, the, the, of the team that she was a part of. Um, her family is, is concerned about her. And as she started to tell me those kinds of things, then I started to see, okay, there is more going on than just, you know, a friend that's feeling a little left out. There are some fruits that are coming from this relationship that are not good. And if she doesn't learn to see those fruits and recognize them for what they are, um, she's going to experience probably some very difficult things uh, as a result of that. Learning to see the kinds of fruits that people bring into our lives or that cause us to grow in our life is a great skill and ability to, to learn as a young person. And one of the things I think the Savior would love for you to see as a teenager. Now, these chapters in the Sermon on the Mount conclude with the Savior really teaching a very powerful lesson that really summarizes all that he has taught up to this point when he compares two individuals and how they build their house. As many of you, I'm sure, know the story, one builds his house on a sandy foundation and another on stone. And as a storm comes, it becomes very evident which house is able to stand and survive from that storm. And this is the key principle that I want to focus on this week and just share a little, a few thoughts about what it means to be built on a sure foundation. When I was teaching seminary, I used to teach uh, this kind of lesson in just a fun way. I would put a table at the front of the room with the word Christ on it, and then I would give all kinds of materials, three by five cards, papers, glue sticks, scissors, um, some little sticks, and other things, and, and instruct the students, put them in groups, and instruct that they had a few, you know, five, ten minutes to build a house. And at some point, the house had to be up on this table at some point because uh, something was going to happen. And, uh, and that was all I would tell them at that point. But then as they started building these houses, I would give them little clues as to what was coming. Talk a little, maybe a scripture about a storm or, or about how, you know, the fiery darts of the adversary will, will come against us. And, and just kind of tell them, like, these are clues to help you to know what is the most important part of your house being built. And at first, all the students would then try to reinforce their house as much as they can. Oh, okay, we got to make this strong. But then occasionally, if you would come to, to see the, the symbolism of what was being taught and recognize, oh, we need to make sure this house is attached to the table, is attached to Christ. And so they would spend a lot of their time taping and gluing and doing everything that they could to make sure that their house, no matter what it looked like, was fastened and attached strongly to Christ. And then sure enough, after the time was up, um, the storm would come and uh, it would start typically with little marshmallows and then uh, maybe a, a squirt gun uh, and then some bigger marshmallows all the way up to a leaf blower <laughs> would eventually be pulled out. And to see these houses just get demolished obviously was a lot of fun, but also provided a huge visual visualization and hopefully a, a good lesson for the kids. Those houses that were not attached to the table, not attached to the foundation, to Christ, it didn't take much to blow them off and blow them over. 
Those that were just slightly attached, attached a little bit, they would hold on a little, but eventually they would go flying off as well. Those that were just duct taped down <laughs> completely and completely fortified and attached, they wouldn't survive from being beaten. And the house was usually a lot of times in shambles, but they were still attached to Christ. Young people, it doesn't matter what your house looks like as long as it's attached to the foundation, the sure foundation of Christ. And one aspect that I've learned about the importance of the way a building is attached to a foundation is that through that attachment, that foundation, if it's done in the right way, allows for flexibility in the building. That really is the secret to keeping buildings from being destroyed during earthquakes. It needs to be strongly and firmly attached to the foundation, but it also needs to be flexible in that attachment so that it can take the hits. It can take the the, the quakes and the, the shakes and the, the aftershocks and still remain standing. And Christ, that's what he does with us. He creates flexibility in our foundation and in our life. The Salt Lake Temple is currently going through a, a reinforcement of its foundation and it's ha having all those kinds of things added into it to give it a greater ability to be flexible during difficult situations and potential destructive experiences. That not only is how buildings survive, but how we can survive. In many ways, Christ reinforces our foundations in a way that helps us to be flexible when he gives us truths like, not my will, but thine be done. Or you can't behold with your natural eyes the design of your God and those things which shall come hereafter and the glory which shall come after much tribulation. Or all things work together for good to them that love God. Or I hath not seen nor ear heard nor hath it entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. Or what it means to endure well. Or sometimes standing still and just trusting God that things will work out. Stand still and see the salvation of God. All of these truths reinforce our foundation and help us to be flexible during times of, of despair, of frustration, of worry, concern, and fear. Let me give you a few examples. I have many students over the years who have gone through some very severe storms in their life. I had one student who it was discovered her senior year was diagnosed with the rare skin disease that was causing her to lose pigmentation in her skin where it would turn eventually just completely white, very, very splotchy. And can you imagine as a young woman who at that point is trying to figure out who she is and it's important to, to be seen in a certain way by her peers, what she would be thinking and going through and experiencing with that kind of a storm blowing on her house. Yet she handled it with such poise and grace, sharing at times through her testimony how she is trusting God that things will work out as they're meant to and that everything will be okay. I had another student who tore his ACL during the first game of his senior season playing football uh, a season that he'd been working for really his whole life. And although there was definitely some feelings of despair and frustration and, and sorrow associated with that, he also was so upbeat and optimistic, again, sharing things in class like, it's just beyond my control. And when it's not in my control, I know it's in God's. And I know that things will be okay, that things will work out, and that I'll have certain experiences in other ways that I'm meant to have. I've had students who have lost loved ones during the year that have had great faith in facing a challenge like that. I have a very close personal friend whom I love, whose child years ago wandered over to a fountain that some teenagers had put bubbles in as a practical joke. And because of those bubbles, this child was drawn to that fountain unbeknownst to the parents in a moment where their eyes were turned off of him and he fell in and drowned. 
And despite such a difficult experience, his faith was an inspiration to me as he experienced great hope in being able to see his son again one day and that they would be together as a family. My own father, who was in a car accident on his mission and has had many health issues throughout his life, has been an incredible example of what it means to weather storms because his foundation was built on Christ. Myself personally, going through divorce and some of the things that went along with that, there were so many times I just wanted to give up and give in, yet because I was attached to the foundation of Christ, I just couldn't let him go. When I think the truth, probably better stated, is he wouldn't let me go. Young people, I want you to understand that the promise of these verses isn't that there won't be any storms in your life, but when you build your foundation on Christ, your faith won't fail you during the storm. One of the things that Alma talks a lot about in Alma chapter 5 is the importance of nurturing our faith, planting our faith as a seed and then taking care of it and nurturing it every day until it grows up into a tree. And listen to what he says will happen once it becomes a tree. In verse 40 of Alma chapter 5, he says, And thus, if you will not nourish the word, looking forward with an eye of faith to the fruit thereof, you can never pluck of the fruit of the tree of life. But if you will nourish the word, Yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow, by your faith, with great diligence and with patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root, and behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience and the word in nourishing it, that it may take root in you, behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, and which is white above all that is white, yea, and pure above all that is pure." And ye shall feast upon this fruit, even until ye are filled, that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. Then, my brethren, ye shall reap the rewards of your faith, and your diligence, and patience, and long-suffering, waiting for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you. I think the truth could be put in this way simply. That, young people, if you will take the opportunity to nurture your faith, that one day your faith, when you need it most, will nurture you. In each of those experiences that I gave with students and friends, my family, my own life, those individuals had taken the time to nurture their faith when they didn't need it, right? We're back to that thought of if we will just remember God in the day of our peace, then in the day of our trouble, he'll be that much quicker to respond to us and to help us. And if we'll nurture our faith, even when we don't need to, that one day our faith, when we do need it most, will be there to nurture us and to get us through those storms that come. One of the things I want you to look for as you read through this chapter this week is how it was referenced that the Savior taught them as one having authority. Not like any of the other scribes or Pharisees. There was something different about these teachings. That difference, I believe, was that the truths that he was teaching felt different to them because they were true and that they resonated with their spirit. And as you go through and read these truths this week, I want you to watch for that same feeling. I want you to listen and to see if they feel different to you because they are true. And so to help you better internalize these principles we've talked about today, especially when it comes to building your foundation on Christ, here's a few key questions that I would invite you to journal, maybe even discuss with any family and friends. Question number one is, what is it that you are currently doing to build yourself on the foundation of Christ, to attach yourself to Him? And how is it helping you to feel more attached to Him? 
Second question is, what is a storm that you have already experienced, that you have felt Christ support you in already? Question three, who have you seen that has survived a difficult storm because they have built their life on Christ? Question four, what are some of the sandy foundations that you have seen others, especially young people, try to build their lives on today? And what has happened as a result of that? And the last question, why is it that these types of foundations will not be enough to get us through hard things? And now just a couple of quick application questions to help you get the truths that we've talked about today into your heart and into your life and to help you better build your foundation on Christ. Remember, as he said in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And so the first thing I would invite you to do to apply these principles today is to write down one thing that you will start doing that you haven't been doing each day to better attach yourself to Christ. What is that one thing that you can start doing today? In fact, listen carefully to your thoughts. I'm pretty confident the Spirit will help you to know exactly what that one thing is. And the last thing I would consider for you to apply today is centered on the idea of building your house. A house is more than just one person. It involves... Well, a family. And so what is something that you will do as a family or that you can help your family to do to better build your house, your family, on the foundation of Christ? Doing those two things, young people, I am confident will give you greater peace and joy and contentment in a world that is filled with chaos and fear and destruction. Keep in mind, as always, the three things to look for as you study this week. How do these things bear testimony of Christ? Well, he is showing us the way because he is the way. And what are some of the key principles to help guide you in life? You'll find tons of them through here. And then, again, some of the great character traits of Christ. Look for who he is. Above all else, I think you'll see in these chapters to begin with, again, that he is a teacher. Now, thanks for listening, you guys. Go and make the most of the opportunities you have this week to follow him. Remember, if we are to follow him, we must take these principles and not just learn about them, but live them. And as you do each day this week, each day you will feel a little bit better about your life, about yourself, because you are walking in the right way. You are walking in his way because he is the way. And as you do this, you will be following his invitation to come follow me. Let's follow him better this week and make our lives better. Until next time, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.